Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 18. And now we see how our story will be folded into his story to make a difference in shining the light and being the salt, making a difference in sharing the message of the gospel with people. Verse 18 says, But one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. How to fish for people. Let's pray. Lord God, there is an atmosphere of life. The presence of your power is here. And now it is that presence that takes a word written thousands of years ago and makes it relevant right to our heart and life today. Speak by this word and shape the way we think and impact the way we live and then Reach out to other people through us, we pray, by your grace and the story of grace in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? We can enter the Bass Pro Shop. We can go to the fishing department. And we can get rods, reels, line, and lures. So that by the time we leave, we are equipped to fish. Now, there are times where Bass Pro Shop will turn their entire store into a classroom. And someone said amen. You know, if you can't get an amen talking about Bass Pro Shop, you may not can get an amen. And all of God's lovers of Bass Pro Shop said. And so they turn it into like a classroom where they invite people in to demonstrate how would you, you would use the rods, the reels, and the lures so that when you leave, you not only are equipped, but you are ready to catch fish. I want to turn this place into a classroom. Anytime you say we're going to have a class on reaching people, some will attend, but not everyone. And we can't allow this part of church life and following Christ to move over into just a small group of people. It's too critical. So I'll turn this into a classroom. Now, there are enough educators and professors in this church where they can tell us we need a purpose for the class. In the syllabus, you'll have the purpose stated. And the purpose for this morning's message, and let me just insert that there are night classes. And 6 o'clock is when the night class will begin today. And the purpose is to enable and empower us to take this message to our culture. To feel confident, ready, equipped to fish for people. Now, the method is going to be corporate worship. Using the text, the Bible. And then there will be some in-class activity. And you've got an insert in your bulletin that's going to be part of that here in a moment. And then there will also be homework. Now, I want to tell you, everybody's going to get an A. I love classes where the professor would tell you on the front end, he guarantees an A. 
Ken Blanchard, who is a great business consultant and author, was also a college professor, and he writes how at the beginning of every class he taught, he gave the final exam at the beginning of the class. He would give the students every answer, and then he would spend the entire semester teaching them why those were the answers to the questions on the test, and everyone got an A. He even came under some scrutiny from the university because everyone in his class always got an A. Now, I, I don't know how it's going with those of you in class with the professor, but I just want to tell you, in this class, you're going to get an A. This one young man took a class called Ornithology. It's a study of birds. The final exam came at the end of the semester, and he went into the class, and there was a picture of all these birds, but all you could see were their legs. The professor had hidden every other part of the bird. And he said, here's the final exam. You have to identify the bird by their legs. And this student said, that's impossible. I've been attentive. I haven't missed a class. I've done all of the assignments, but there is no way that I can pass this exam. It's impossible. And the professor said, well, there's no choice. This is the exam. The young man got up from his desk, made his way toward the door. He was going to leave. And the professor said, young man, wait just a moment. What is your name? The professor asked. The young man turned around, raised up his pants legs and said, you're so smart, you tell me. That young man took that class again the next semester. <laughs> I want it to be easy, but not easy to the point that we disengage. We are so good at so much within the local church. Excellent in our presentation of so many ministries. When it comes to telling our story, where we use that to fish for people, we can't be second to any other minister, any other assignment. You have been given a gift or gifts, and, and you, you nurture your heart and you cultivate your skill set so that you can be used of God, but it's also that you can present this story. We must be excellent in presenting the story, the story of God in us his story of grace. Now, we have to go back to the beginning. I want us to be clear on his story so that we see how our story folds into it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the beginning and let's see what happened in those first 10 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Here's verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse number 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful in its fruit, 
It looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. In those ten verses, we see the consequences of sin. Not just the entrance of sin, but the consequences, which are guilt and shame. You see, we have to understand these consequences so that we understand the mission of the church. We see this shame. You can read again in Leviticus about their shame. And then in Ezra 9. Now, if you read the Bible chronologically, like a lot of us are doing this year, you'll find that Ezra is one of the last books you read because that's where it falls in the chronological unfolding of Scripture. And you will see in Ezra 9 that their guilt reached to the heavens. So we start with the people plagued with guilt. The Old Testament ends with the people being plagued with guilt. And so we see that consequence. And so what do we learn about God's story? Well, God went back into that garden, according to Genesis 3. He sought after them. And if you look at the teaching of Scripture, you will find that our God seeks after the guilty. It was God who sought Abraham, who lived in an idolatrous culture. It was God who sought after the fugitive by the name of Moses. It was God who went after Elijah, who was running from his call. In Luke 15, God is likened to the shepherd who sought the one lost sheep. Likened to the lady who turned over the the furniture, turned the house upside down, looking and seeking the one lost coin. It's Jesus who said of himself, I have come to seek and to save the lost. You see, to this story of guilt, God comes seeking the guilty. He also comes to lift the shame, to cover the shame. In Genesis 3, God moved into action, sacrificed an animal, shed blood at the first sin, and covered their shame. All through the Bible, we see this as the heart of God. A sacrificial system was instituted at that point. And over and over again, the priests are making sacrifice so that it can atone for sin. The word atonement means to cover. Isaiah prophesying said he, Jesus, would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be placed upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. God seeks the guilty. He moves to cover those who are in shame. And then Paul writes in Corinthians, the one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's his story. But we must fold that in to our story and see how we can take it deeper so we can articulate the work of grace in our lives to deal with the guilt and the shame that we experienced and how God removed it. Now, this is where we get to the in-class activity. Would you take these sermon notes with me? Find something to write with. And I want to walk you through this. And it's going to help in sharing our story. Again, if we're good at anything, 
it should be telling our story. Now, I know at times we feel awkward about this, but I want to tell you, you can be equipped to where you're excited. When you leave the Bass Pro Shop and you have, you have the rod, the reel, the line, the lures, you are excited because you are equipped. You're ready to catch fish. I want you to leave here today and after the service tonight and the service is coming next week sensing an excitement to tell your story. Do you realize the excitement in this church if we all through the week are seizing the moment to share our story with those who don't know Jesus? What will happen in the atmosphere of our church, in the atmosphere of our gatherings, if we are passionate, urgent, and faithful in sharing the story of God in and through our own lives? I want you to catch this today. There's the passion side and the craft side. May the Holy Spirit stir the passion. May the Word give the craft so that you feel confident where you're waking up saying, I am looking for the opportunity to share my story. Here it is, making our story personal. That's the first word. How has God brought us from our sin to his salvation? Here's my question to, do, to you. What is your story? Can you give that story in a very concise way? Now, there will be time to lengthen it out. But here's the next thing, making our story count. Keep it brief. Keep it simple know of a man who had an opportunity to share his faith and because of the circumstance he had a short amount of time and so when he was asked the question about Christianity knowing that the person he was talking to had a lot of religion in his background he said to me I sum it up like this do versus done he said I used to live my life trying to do a lot of things in order to honor Christ and have Christ affirm me but I realized that the message of Christianity, it's not about what I do, it's about what Christ has done. It's about his grace and what he's done for me. Religion is about what you do. Christianity is about what Christ has done. And I think, nailed it. That's awesome. He captured the moment. The time may come in the relationship to elaborate on the details, but he captured it in a very brief and simple way. Three facets of this. A simple description of who we were before we met Christ. That's the key word, who we were before we met Christ. The fact that we came into a relationship with Christ. And a simple description of who we are after walking with Christ for a time. It's the before and after. You can't watch television without seeing these infomercials that tell you that you can go from, from being out of shape, overweight, to being ripped and in top physical condition in 90 days. And the way they entice you to check it out is a before and after picture. You've got this before where obviously there's not a lot of exercise going on, and then you have this after where it's like, you know, the guy's like ripped, and it's amazing wearing clothes that they hadn't worn since high school days. And, and so they don't they go into the details. In the 90 days, there's a lot happening. You're changing your diet. 
you're doing a certain exercise program. One day you work out in a certain way, then muscle confusion is important. So the next day you work out a different way, and on and on and on. And so there is, there is a lot going on in the transformation, but they don't get you bogged down in that in the first kind of exposure to it. They just give you the before and after. I'm saying there are a lot of details of what God has done in your life. But in this initial encounter, you give the before and the after. Here's who I was. Now look at what God has done. Capture it in a very concise, simple, brief, powerful way. The before and after. Here's the next thing. Keep it focused. God is the hero of the story, not us. Now, if you have a lot of drama in your testimony... Hey, great. But some people here don't feel like they have a lot of drama in their testimony. They're like, I was saved at vacation Bible school. I was like seven years old. And, and I don't have like this really amazing story. I want to tell you, your story is important regardless. If there's a lot of drama in it, great. But don't forget, God's still the hero. He's the, he, matter of fact, God coming to earth in form of a man and Jesus giving his life on a cross, dying and rising again so that we might be saved is all the drama the story will ever need. Now, I, I know of one person. He said he was awakened at 3.23 in the morning. The next day, he was awakened at 6.23 in the morning. I realized where it was going. You see, 3.23 is where it says we have all sinned in the book of Romans. And then 6.23 is where it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so God was awakening this sinner at times that aligned with Scripture that became the Roman road. Amazing. But if that's not your story, you're like, wow, that's cool. If, but if God didn't wake you up at 323, 623, and 510, it doesn't matter. Because God is still the hero. I mean, if he saved you out of the worst addiction and messed up life, or saved you from biting your sister at vacation Bible school, the bottom line is God is the hero of the story. We are all sinners saved by grace. Keep it focused. He's the hero. Sometimes you get all these characters and different plot lines and you're trying to... He's the focus. He's the hero. Keep it understandable. There will be a time for big words and Christianese. But if in the first encounter you say, I just want to tell you that Jesus became the propitiation of my sin by his atoning blood, I've been connected to Yahweh God. That, that may be a little too strong. Keep it understandable. There will be a time for that. Keep it humble. Nothing will send sinners running for the hills like, like coming across as you've got it all figured out. Hey, we were on a journey when we met Christ and we are still on a journey. Keep it clear. What I'm saying here is the critical contrast, that before and after moment. We see this in John 3 where Nicodemus he said, I realize I could be born a second time. And it's all because of Christ. It's based on God's love for me. Here was a guy trying to ascend a ladder of religious duty. 
and feeling miserable and empty and he found that he could be born again by the love of God. That's the critical contrast, the before and after. You get to John 4 and there's the woman of Samaria and she says, he told me everything I had ever done and yet he still cared for me. And it changed her life. And she ends up going and saying to everyone, come, come, come see the man before and after. You find over in the next chapter, like John 8, is the woman caught in the act of adultery. She was condemned by everyone, but she said, he didn't condemn me. He forgave me and he accepted me. The critical contrast, what is that before and after moment in your life? Make that clear keep it concise let God use it in John 9 it's just this simple as the man said I once was blind but now I see if you haven't figured out the facts of creation or the facts of the resurrection that's okay just tell your before and after story I want us to bolt out of this classroom like a fisherman would, Bass Pro Shop, equipped and ready, saying, I can do this. I can do this today. I can do this tomorrow with my coworker. Now listen, let's tie it together. Here's Nicodemus feeling the guilt and not able to lift it in his own efforts, but God's love lifted it. Here is the woman of Samaria feeling the guilt and shame of her sordid life filled with all kind of drama, but God's love and grace forgave her. It dealt with the consequences of sin that we see in Genesis 3, guilt and shame. Here you find the woman caught in the act of adultery. Think of the guilt. Think of the shame. But he accepted me. He forgave me. All of us have a story. And if we will just tell our story, I I don't know, there will be some well over a thousand people that will have been in this room after both of these services. And if we could all just tell our story, authentically, faithfully, clearly, simply, understandably, with humility? Can you imagine the grace explosion that would happen in this community? Now, when you go into Bass Pro Shop, it matters where you're going to fish and the kind of fish you're going to catch as it relates to the equipment you get. Now, if we were in the Northwest and we were in Seattle and I was preaching to you, I would send you out to fish in a pond where people have never maybe even heard about Jesus or been in a church. We are in a pond where there's a lot of church and a lot of religion influence, and so you're going to be going after fish, and they've seen all kind of lures. And we're going to have to get past the religion. We're going to have to get past all that they've seen and heard, and the way we do that is with an authentic life. There's nothing more powerful than your story how it folds into your sin, his salvation, what Christ has done for you. I'm talking to you about reaching people that have no interest in ever coming into this church. And if it is left up to a public worship service for their salvation, it will never happen. So that's why church is kind of like the Bass Pro Shop. We don't go to Bass Pro Shop to go fishing. We go there to get equipped to go fishing. Now, I know there are fish in the Bass Pro Shop, in the tank, but they've already been caught. So so you can't come fishing in here. You, You come in here to get equipped, energized, motivated 
confident and you go out where the fish are that are never going to swim up in here and say, catch me. They're going to be out there where you catch them with your story of grace. And I want to tell you, then when we come in here, we are having some church. Because there's no energy like the energy of life change, of being used in a transaction between a holy God and a needy heart. A compassion transaction where God uses you to minister to them through your story. Church, this is what it's all about. If, if, if Christianity has become tepid, like a low-grade fever, it's just boring and mediocre. I want to tell you, if we'll get back in the outreach redemption business at a personal level, it will turn your Christianity into the great adventure. And that is the church we're called to be. Praise God. Watch this two-minute and 50-second video. The lights are coming down. And you'll see in different snapshots, two people you probably know who are capturing storylines of God in their story. Watch this. Everything's a battle. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you're going through all those battles by yourself. I had a great freshman year. I was fortunate, I was blessed. And in our sophomore year, we, we kind of hit a wall. You're probably going to be outmatched in a lot of those battles, and you're not even going to have a chance to win. We lost to Kansas State, and then we lost to Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. It was tough. It was a struggle. But when you have a relationship with the Lord and you spend time with Him and you're in His Word, you, know, you have a teammate. I realized, you know, God is not number one in my life right now. I was trying to do things on my own. You know, without Christ, without God, I, I'm not complete. You're able to go into those battles, you know, together and not alone. And I think that really turns the odds in your favor. And now you have a chance to win those battles. College is crazy. College is a time where you, know, you get away from your parents, you're free. The parties, the drinking, you know, everything you, know, you see in a typical college atmosphere. The time that uh, you, you either grow up or you make poor decisions. When you put yourself in situations like that you know, and surround yourself with things that the Lord doesn't like, you know, it's hard you know, to keep a relationship and keep doing the things that He wants you to do. It takes a big man to be a leader. It takes a man of Christ to be a leader. Your teammates need somebody that they can follow, that they can trust and say, I want that guy in the huddle with me. I know that the Lord is out there with me. Knowing that you're not out there alone is something that really does allow you to stay calm in intense and pressure situations. Leader off the field is someone who doesn't ride the fence. He's going to make his decision. He's going to live with it and he's going to stand up for the right thing. There does come a certain amount of responsibility you know, for me to set a good example and live a lifestyle that he would be proud of, that you know, other people can see and want to follow. I need the strength, I need the wisdom, I need the boldness to be able to be a leader and to stand up for him uh, at any and every place that I'm put in. I think God has planned out you know, everyone's life from the beginning. And I feel like right now, I'm just living out his plan and help you know, bring more people to him. I pray every day that, that I can be an example and I can uh, live the life that God wants me to and, and to do his will the best that I can. I'm Sam Bradford. I'm Colt McCoy. And we are second.
the activity of God in their own life. In the weeks to come, I will talk to you in more detail about sharing your story in a guilt-based culture, a shame-based culture, working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who is reaching and seeking people that we've seen in the character of God today. If you will start now sharing your story with those you know, then you partner with the church where we are going to have services that would feature the gospel of salvation. We're running commercials right now that tell quickly the transformational power of God in the stories of people in this church and we'll, we'll elevate those stories in the Easter season. Every lady in this place, you could share your story with a friend and then you could talk about insecurity and you could say, why don't you come here? Here's a free ticket to this simulcast. It's on a Saturday. You just come sit with me in a great atmosphere. We'll be there together. And the gospel's presented. And you use things like that as part of the process of sharing your story with those who are lost. The excitement, the thrill of seeing someone come to know Jesus is beyond words. And it's the mission of the church. I pray that we get back to that and have more passion for it than we have ever had. In the night class of this week, we're going to talk about working in cooperation with the Spirit. And I think it's one of the most amazing pictures of Scripture to know that anytime you witness to somebody, the Lord's already been working on them because He's a seeker of the lost. And so you're coming into part of an amazing plan. And to understand all that and see it in the scope of Scripture will just be even more energizing and add confidence to your witness. So we're on track to be the church, not just go to church. But now for those of you who have listened to me talk to people who know the Lord and how maybe the Lord's helped us with our guilt and our shame, and you found yourself sitting there going, but what about me? You know by looking at your own life, there's no way to pick yourself up, change yourself. And that's why I presented to you the gospel today as I've talked to Christians that the Lord has pursued you. That's the whole reason you're here. There's been a series of circumstances that God has been involved with that's brought you here so you could hear that He seeks the guilty. He seeks to cover, to give grace to the shame that is in your heart. The gospel is never a God saying shame on you. This gospel is a picture of a God saying shame off of you. He bore your shame so that you could be forgiven. In the early service, four people, when I gave this opportunity, immediately lifted their hand and said, I need Jesus. The same is about to happen because his grace is here. The chains of addiction around your soul that have captured your personality and your future, taken it hostage, will be broken today. And you can have a whole new life. You're gonna feel brand new, renewed, made new by the power of grace. He did it for me. He did it for many in this room. He will do it for you. With your eyes closed in the presence of God, you say, Pastor Ron, I need my guilt to be lifted, my shame to be gone, my life to be changed. I recognize that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who seeks me,
who gave his life for me so that I might be the person I was created to be. I'm so far from that now, but I realize my hope is in Christ and he's here to save me. You want to open your heart to that transaction, to that transformation, then right now, by the grace of God, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Raise it up, say, I need to be saved. Yes, God bless you. Just continue to lift your hands, I'll see it. And God bless you, God bless you. Continue, this is amazing, it's his grace, it's his love. Your guilt can be gone, shame removed. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me so that it will encourage you, and we bring into this prayer these truths of God's grace and your repentance. Every Christian in the room will be repeating the prayer because we want it to be an encouragement to you. We've all prayed this. We know what's about to happen in your life. The change begins today. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I come in all of my sin and guilt. And I open my heart to your grace. Forgive me of my sin. Take away the shame. Make me brand new. I can't change myself. I open my heart to your power to make the difference in me. From this day forward, I am yours. I will live for you. I will follow your ways. I will read the Bible. I will connect with other Christians. And I will grow as a follower of Christ. Thank you for coming to me. For setting circumstances that brought me to this moment. I realize it's your love that has done it. And it's your love that's changing me now. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.